Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 9, issue 432 and today we're going to be talking about the gardens between. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Chris O'Regan. Hello. John Salmon. Hi. And welcome back, it's been a while, from a little up and coming show called TCGS. It's David Turner. I'm going to ignore that little uh, little punch to the gut there, but uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on, Leon. Thanks for having me on. Welcome back, David. What was the last time? Uh, when was the last time you joined us? A couple of oh, years ago? I or don't know. Yeah, it must have been. You you like to leave it a good two or three years before you invite me on. There's only so much, David, we can handle. I know. I'm a I'm a little bit too cool uh, for this school. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you want to try and you know uh, just limit the amount of time that I'm on it. But um, yeah, no, I can't remember the last game I was I was on. But um, mm, it's been a while. You did Crackdown. I remember that. Oh, Crackdown. Crack that down, was it. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah been, Previously, yeah. Left for Dead and Spec Ops: The Line. I think. That's right. Yeah, I did those yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the Gosh. best ones. All the hits. Yeah, all the hits. <laughs> been going a long time. But listen, forgive David if he's a little shy and unforthcoming. He's quite new to this sort of game. Yeah. I'm being ironic. Uh, we'll issue the spoiler warning for the gardens between. I don't. I don't think you can really spoil it because I it's don't know the end. But you mm. yeah, about the end. Maybe. It's such a wonderful moment. I wouldn't want that spoiled. I suppose. No. Yeah. So if you haven't played it, it's only about take you about three hours to complete. It's on Game Pass right now. If you've got a subscription to that, but I'm sure you can pick it up on. I think it's. Uh, at the time of recording, might be no use by the time you hear this, but it's 50% off on Steam as well. So it's a game that gets discounted and uh, is not a long play. So if it tickles your fancy, go and have a look. If you don't mind it being spoiled, listen first, play after. What is it, though, if you don't know? People like uh, a pre So this is from Steam. The Gardens Between is a single-player adventure puzzle game about time, memory, and friendship. Best friends, arena, and friend fall into a series of vibrant, dreamlike island gardens peppered with everyday objects from their childhood. Together, they embark on an emotional journey that examines the significance of their friendship. Manipulate time to solve puzzles and reach the apex of each aisle. Follow the duo as they unpack and explore their precious moments spent together, lighting up constellations and illuminating threads of a bittersweet narrative. It was developed in Melbourne, Australia. It's uh, written in the ever-popular unity engine and it's by the voxel agents this is the first game they've made of this type previously they were known for a couple of mobile games puzzle retreat which is a kind of sliding tiles into slots uh, gems and and wood kind of aesthetic uh, yeah mobile puzzler and their other franchises train conductor world which is very much a modern update of the old what were those puzzle games called back in the day, Chris? The, there's, there was one on the Spectrum, wasn't there, that was very much like this, getting the trains onto the right tracks. Yeah, I mean, I know it's Pipe Mania, which is very similar. Similar to Pipe Mania, but I think yeah. there was, yeah, there was, um, was a, yeah. It's, it's, it's Just a, go it's with that old, one. That works. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> there was something more specifically probably locomotive-based. I mean, I know anyway. there's like Southern Bell, but that's not the same thing. That was you driving a train. No, no. <laughs> no, this was... This was actual, yeah, like similar concept, um, pulling the tracks around and, and making the uh, jun- junction box- boxes switch and all that okay. kind of thing t- yeah. to get train the trains mania? into. Call it train mania. Let's Trainier. go with that. Trainier. Trainier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trainier. Definitely that. Look it up on no. YouTube. But yeah, it's, it's quite sweet. I was looking back at the Voxel Agents YouTube channel earlier and they've still got their earliest trailers up there for those mobile games from about 10 years ago, 2009. And their trailers are just, 
it's just like really low res footage of a camera just held away from an iPhone screen with someone playing the game. <laughs> it's, it, it's ever so sweet. Super low budget. They've got a sort of highly enthusiastic Auss- uh, Aussie voiceover from uh, possibly from people within the studio. And yeah, obviously they've come a long way, but I guess they started making these games in what about 2007 or eight. And this game came out 10 years after that. But yes, really there was nothing in their past to suggest that they would make one of these kinds of console indie emotional kind of games. Henrik Pettersson, the director, his previous works were those train conductor games, uh, the first one and its sequel, which is set in the USA rather than Australia. Um, the art director is uh, Jonathan Swanson, who's more recently worked on Moving Out, which is uh, Team 17's overcooked style house moving game, which, which I haven't played yet. Which was also a Team 17 game, isn't it? <laughs> so it's, um, yes. Yeah, they've got a lot of similar games. But yeah, the move, yeah Moving Out was, uh, was great. I, don't, I had no idea that these games were connected in that way, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a just small this, community. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, I've had them on Sausage Factory. So for the moving out people, I was going to ask you. Yeah. Oh, that's so, good to know. Uh, yeah, they've been on. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a lovely game. Lovely game. 3D modeler Jessica Brett had previously worked on Looney Tunes Acme Arsenal and has since gone on to work on Moving Out as well. And another interesting credit is that of the writer Brooke Mags, who is uh, was narrative design consultant on Florence, which is a game we covered on Kane and Rince issue 413, and also wrote for Control, the big. 2019 uh, Remedy game. Composer is Tim Scheel, who'd previously worked on Duet and Induction, two games I don't know. And the audio designer for the, uh, the, the non-musical sound, which is all kind of musical as well, but uh, Daniel Olsen, who has since this game worked on Sayonara Wild Hearts. Game came out on PC, Mac, Switch and PS4 in September 2018. The Xbox One version arrived a couple of months later. And the iOS version arrived in May 2019. The game has a healthy 79% rating on OpenCritic with 77% of cricket crickets, <laughs> 77% of garden-based insects, which is appropriate, recommending that you play The Gardens Between. Uh, the game is nominated for an IGF 2018 Award in Visual Excellence, among 17 other international award noms. And I bet Chris came across the game at one of these. It was featured at numerous festivals, including the Indie Mega Booth at PAX East and West, Indie Arena, IGF, IGF China, Out of Index, ACMI, PAX Australia, Unity and BicFest. I guess you saw it at PAX at some point, Chris. I saw it at PAX West, yeah. We'll talk about yeah. that in my history. Oh, yeah. Cool. Hold on to it. User reviews wise, uh, Nintendo Life folks, there's a Switch version, as we said, have it at a 7.6 out of 10. So hovering around the excellent, but not the spectacular and stellar mark. And Steam, it's very positive rather than overwhelmingly positive. Interesting. But yeah, our histories. Dave, why are you on this show in particular? Uh, Because you asked me on. Is that the, is that the answer you want? <laughs> be the that's the short version so uh yeah i mean i uh first saw the gardens between it was sort of sandwiched in with a bunch of other trailers in a um nintendo direct uh probably about two or three months before it came out so i hadn't heard of it before but it was one of those games that i looked at and i thought wow this looks different somehow i didn't really know why and i went went on to discover why later on but i looked at it and thought 
something about this. I, I, I like the look of this. Uh, so I got it on launch. I think I played it on PS4. And um, I just, I didn't really know much about it. I knew it was kind of a time uh, traveling puzzle thing. Um, yeah. And there were two main characters. Um, and I just instantly fell in love with it. I mean, I think the visual aspect is a huge, huge part of that. But as I was going through it and um, discovering the puzzles, the solutions to the puzzles, I was like, okay, right. Now I'm not only just blown away by how it looks, um, it's really sort of uh, asking questions of me. And uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for a game that is um, challenging but also not challenging enough to make you go to a uh, a walkthrough or something to get right. a solution to a puzzle. So when I when I when it hits that sweet spot, I'm like, wow, I am brainy, and I fall for <laughs> a game like that. So uh, this is exactly what happened here. And then um, you know, if a game's short enough and that you can run through it in a few days or a couple of sessions or whatever, um, and you're satisfied by the end of it, then I again, I sort of uh, really really like games like that. So. That was it for me. I, I mean, I it, just from looking at um, the art style and what it was doing with animation, made sort of grabbed my interest. But but playing it sort of really uh, hit home with me. Yeah, I loved it. Mm. Chris, so you stumbled across it first at PAX. Yeah, I was walking past Indie Mega Booth PAX West 2018. Definitely was West because it was warm. I know the difference. If it's cold, then I'm at East. So that um, probably makes sense if you know your American geography. Indeed. So West, <laughs> if, if you don't know, is in Seattle. It happens at the end of August, uh, early September, Labor Day weekend, and um, it uh, had a very bright booth and a lot of people were hovering around it. So that's always a good indicator that something special was happening. And I managed to get a go on the end of oh. Oh, they, it's like Nebulous. No, Nebulous is a very, very, very old video game from yeah, uh, also, also known as Tower Toppler, Tower in, Toppler. on the NES. Indeed, in, uh, in America, I think it came out on a lot of platforms, but it has the same sort of mechanic viewing wise when you rotate around. A, yeah, gameplay is very different, yeah, but very, yeah. very different. Uh, but then I started playing it, and I, like Dave, I, I, it's the puzzles that drew me, and the, the fact that it basically says. This 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 game makes you feel like you've got the brain the size of a planet, um, yeah. especially when you solve the puzzles. And eventually, um, I actually met with or, or I interviewed Simon Jocelyn, uh, who was one of the producers and art designers for yeah. uh, Girls in Between, and uh, he appeared on episode two hundred and four of the Sausage Factory, which is released November twenty eighteen. So, um, and that's that's my history with it. It's very sort of direct uh, interaction with the developers themselves. So I did actually re-listen to uh, that show before we recorded, just to remind the kind of things, the co- topics we covered. So we may Fabulous. cover them here today. Some insights. Some insights, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the other good thing about covering a game like this that's self-contained and short is that we'll have time to talk about the individual puzzle designs and things like that and uh, why, which ones work for us and which ones we uh, we felt made us feel smart and all that kind of thing yeah looking forward to it john how about you yeah i can't remember exactly where i first heard about this chances are it was either through twitter or through another podcast that was talking about it um i think 
the whole being released directly onto Game Pass thing has been a massive boon for tons of games that uh, I've ended up playing more recently than that. I think I've had Game Pass probably since about the time that it it's existed. Yeah. So yeah, I can't I can't remember who originally turned me onto this. There's a fairly good chance it was it was somebody like Dave talking yeah. about it. Uh, but looking back at the like the timeline on Xbox and stuff, I've picked it up about a month after it was released, about three weeks, four weeks after it came out. Um, I don't remember hearing or knowing very much about it prior to launch, but as soon as it came out and people were talking about it, it just sounded like it was exactly the sort of thing I wanted to play. I love these couple of hour kind of fairly basic puzzle games with you know emotional resonance and stuff. I'm all down for the other similar sort of walking simulators and and visual novel style games and this it's not it's not as um gameplay light as some of those but you know i i am just as much involved in getting the narrative out of something as anything else and it also an element of supporting the australian uh game industry or uh-huh. small game industry that seems to have sprung up it's yeah. funny that a bunch of these games are created by similar people lots of um Melbourne-based creators, lots right. of being funded by the Victorian government and that sort of thing, which is great. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if this is this is the sort of thing that comes out, I'm slightly disappointed that I get it for free, that I don't have to spend a load of money on it. I mean, <laughs> buy a second and a third that, copy for your well, I, mean, I certainly could do if I if I desperately wanted to. I'm sure they 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 get some. I'm sure they get some decent wedge for allowing it to go on Game Pass. Yeah, it's it's got to be a good proposition for them to do yeah. it. Otherwise, nobody would do it. And currently, something like two hundred and fifty people are doing it. So, yeah, it's it's got to be something for them. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see like a limited edition box set or something for this to come out, just to directly give money to the developers. Um, yeah, I played it through over the course of a couple of days. This was back just before Christmas, twenty eighteen. Uh, a lot of it surprisingly stuck with me more than, to be honest, a lot of other games do for. Mm. 20 months or however long it's been uh, I was playing this again earlier this afternoon and there were some puzzles that kind of got to me a couple of years ago that I just remembered the solutions for them now and that's honestly you've got to do quite well to stick in my head for this long so yeah yeah I think I think that speaks volumes and also uh, both uh, Chris and Dave saying that it's that very very nice balance of being seeming challenging when you first come to it but not being too challenging to make you feel stupid or to to drive you to go and look up solutions so yeah um, i think that's i think i'm gonna have to fess up and uh, to being the only person who looked up any solutions but we'll get onto that when we talk about we can talk about the puzzle (laughs) design later what a fool uh but yeah i don't have a massive uh massive amount to say as regards to my history like all pretty interesting games that my friends and colleagues and peers talk about in glowing terms i no doubt put this one on my i'm interested to play that at some point list and i can't remember why it ended up on the schedule for this year's podcast in particular possibly because i was looking for a game to get dave back on i don't know um but yeah you have got that power nice one. Uh, no, sometimes if we haven't had a a, a beloved returning guest on for if we haven't had someone back for a while it's uh, you know it's good to look down the list and I see appreciate what y'all. um but yeah so i i I also didn't have to buy it because when i put it on the schedule it was game it was on game pass and it still is so i installed it then played it last week at some point through three quite short sessions like over over three evenings three hours i guess and finished the game and then just mopped up the rest of the achievements as well so it became one of those the achievements were all quite uh 
accessible and things that you can just pop back into levels and do if you haven't gotten the first time around. So I thought, why not get the thousand as well? For the sheer heck of it. Uh, so a few little bullet points again from I think it's from Moby Games. Manipulate time to solve ingenious puzzles, vibrant storybook inspired art style, dreamy tale of adventure, friendship and growing up. More than 20 gorgeous and surreal garden islands to explore. Accessible design, simple controls, no text, speech, time pressure or complex UI. Relaxing ambient soundtrack by featured artist Tim Scheel. We'll talk about all of those elements once we've heard from Alex79UK, fan of uh, both our show and David's as well. I discovered this game via David Turner on the TCGS podcast. After hearing how much he enthused about it, I bought it as soon as it came out on the PS4. Initially, I was very impressed. It looked lovely, had a nice soundtrack, and the time-shifting mechanic was genuinely interesting. After a few levels, however, I grew quickly bored of the game, which seemed more like an exercise in tedium than anything actually resembling fun. I resigned myself to the possibility that we got another future unfolding on our hands and put it to one side. (laughs) Then I noticed recently it was available for mobile, so I thought I'd give it another try. Perhaps it'd be better playing late into the night with my headphones in. Well, I at least made it through the game this time, but ultimately I found it a dull, repetitive and tiresome experience. There were a couple of really smart puzzles. I particularly enjoyed the Walkman one, but overall I really can't say I like this game at all. And the ending, I felt really tried to elicit an emotional response that the game just hadn't earned. I'm conscious that he's probably sat on the panel listening to this right now. So I'd just like to add that over the years, Dave has recommended some absolute gems, some of my favourite games of all time. It's just that this wasn't one of them. (laughs) You haven't made up for that. You have not made up for that. I can't believe it. Okay. I don't agree with a single word. No offence. Sorry, Alex, but... No, I like Alex. He's a good dude. uh, He's a lovely dude. You can't win them all. No, no, no. no. He's to the own. I adored it. Yeah. Well, let's start with the visuals, the aesthetic look. I think it was David you were saying it was one of the, the initial draws was the actual look of the game. And uh, yeah, I played this. So I played this on Xbox One X. I'm sure it's not a game that's enhanced in by that the uh, the extra step of console, but I don't think it needs it. It's uh, it's just a really clean looking game with a with a certain style to it almost semi as you could almost say cell shaded looks aspects of cartoons. What was it that appealed to you, Dave. Yeah, so initially, you know, it is the sort of the setup of these complex looking um, spiral shaped levels um, that sort of mixes between it's sort of like a floating island um, with, you know, your usual backgrounds you get, but various different sort of objects. It seemed very abstract with, you know, massive printers, double the size of the people and tiny TVs and these weird lanterns and everything. But I mean, if you're including animation within the visual element of this, um, that, I mean, I soon realized that after I, you know, started playing it, it was like, that's what caught my interest when I first Mm. saw this game, because you know, usually you see because it is sort of side-scrolling, even though you're going in and out, and you, you're not going in and out of the like walking in and out of the screen. There are moments where you branch off a little bit, but it is very much you know sort of a 2.5D game. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I did notice is that the characters in it in the trailer that I saw weren't walking and moving like characters that you see in computer games. They just mm. they look so much more natural. They were coming together and holding hands at times or putting an arm on a shoulder and stuff. And I was like, whoa, that's really strange. Like, So 
which one am I controlling? Yeah. And how are they managing to do all this weird connection between the two characters? And then, you know, you do realize that that's kind of a trick, but it's, it's, it's something they've used to their advantage because in terms of control, you are not controlling the character at all. You're essentially, you've got a video and you're fast forwarding it and rewinding it. And at certain points you can change that video or cutscene um, to move in a different direction um, and you rewind and you fast forward and it, it continues. And if you change something within that sort of scene, um, then it goes, yeah, something different happens later on in that scene when you fast forward it or hit play. But what that means is that characters are always going to be in a certain place at any one time. They're not they're not having to worry about, oh, what if this character, they move this character up here and this character's down here, but we want yeah. them to have this emotional connection at this point. How do we do that? There's none of that because it doesn't need to be. It's essentially a cutscene that you're fast-forwarding and rewinding. And what that leaves you with is so many opportunities to bring these characters together in a certain way or to have them move way more realistically. You know, so like jumping over a gap. Now, in a game like this with traditional controls you're setting up your character to jump over um, a gap you're hitting the jump button and you're landing a certain distance away from where you started whereas here they know exactly where you're starting exactly where you're landing and they can adapt the animation to make it look as realistic between that jump as possible Mm. Um, or not realistic but as stylized as they you know they they want a certain look to it and and they they can do that with this style of game um and the more i went through it, uh through it you could see that they were totally taking advantage of that you know there there are moments where one character goes and stands on a ledge and looks at something while the other one runs behind um and then that mm. character sort of gestures towards them and points at something to show them what they're looking at and it's kind of like ah of course they can do all this stuff and for me the more I played it, the more of a feeling of a real relationship between the two characters was developing. And that wasn't through writing like we usually see in games. That wasn't through um, them going through experiences together and um, uh, maybe saving each other's lives and stuff like that. This was literally down to the touch of an arm or holding each other's hand or, you know, looking at each other when something happens. And that's the advantage that they had with the style of game this is. And they they totally take advantage of that. I mean, you play any level, you will notice moments where the two characters are subtly interacting with each other. Um, And that is what caught my eye when I first saw it. And that is why I love the visual style and how that plays into what you're actually doing. That's that's um, uh, and the impact on the ending. It, it was it all sort of rests on this style of get game that they're trying. And you know, I can see what Alex is saying there that because you're not in full control of everything, you are essentially scrubbing forward, scrubbing um, back on a on a, a piece of video. Some mm. people can, but I I totally understand why some people could find that um, tedious or boring. For me, I was just taking in the visual element um along with Mm. puzzle solving and i was just like okay that's why i love it so much that's why it's so beautiful to me it's not necessarily down to individual elements it's what they can do when things are so on rails that uh that really work for me it's yeah it's beautiful Mm. chris or john any feelings on the way the game i've got something to say which will build on what dave said 
more eloquently, but there's something else that's really important. The visuals, you can tell every aspect of it is extremely informative. And that sounds rather mechanical, and I apologise for that, but kind of, you know, nature of what I study about games. But you knew that, oh, there's something I need to interact with. There's a bell I need to pull, or there's a there's a bridge I need to cross. But if I, if I do, or there's a little dude that flies around that I can put something in to put one the lantern into and stuff like that. It's extremely informative throughout to the point where it starts messing with you about it. Like, oh, you think you got this. You think this is like on, handed to you on a plate. Oh, no, it's not. And that's mm. great. And that's lovely. And I appreciated that. There's one particular level involving Pate, which I loved. Um, that's, a, that's one of the best levels. It's one of the best levels because it's like, oh, you think, you, you think they're helping? <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, it's it's that for me the, the, that word it's very dull uh, to say it and very mechanical but just yes beautiful and uh, in, in, in certain emotions certainly between the characters but also informative and it re- you really knew you knew what you could do and knew what you couldn't do because the game was yelling at you if you just let yourself go and go oh yeah it's just it's just telling me what to do without actually yelling at me. It's very, very intelligently designed. But if you don't pick up on those cues, which you know intentionally, I, I um, you know, that's going to happen. Mm. You sit there scratching your head for ages, going, "What yeah. am I supposed yeah. to do here?" And then you just <laughs> notice yeah. one little thing, and you're like, "Of course." Yeah, you, of course. it's always a face palm when you do it. Like, oh. I had, yeah. I had, um, the, you know, the initial problem I had with this game uh, is one of my own. Um, certainly not down to the the game's fault, but um, when you play indie games on release day, there's a lot placed into trust. Like there are times where you're going, "Is this just broken now? Like, is this broken?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And I had a few moments with this where I was like, "Well, this is impossible. There must have been a glitch. Uh, I'm going to have to reset." And then wait for the update. <laughs> you, yeah, I'll wait for the update. And then you realise that no, actually, this game uh, there's not. Well, I mean, I certainly didn't experience any problems in that regard. I was just being thick. Um, but you're right. A lot of that is down to um, just being observant when you're going through things. That's n- not the game's fault at all because it, it it does scream solutions at you throughout. Um, but yeah, certainly. I mean, you, you you'll sit there, and if you miss them, you'll just assume that the game's gone wrong. But <laughs> you just got to look better. I think that's the that's the uh, the idea. You have to play each section in various points over and over to be focusing on a different area of the background to know exactly what's going on. There's a bit. I think probably my favourite puzzle in the whole game was with the uh, the number pad and then the printer and the um like the little sonar. What's it, uh, the whole like sound wave thing later oh, on? Oh yeah, that's great. You run one. over that. Yeah, like you go over that printer the first time. You don't notice that you're actually doing anything. You don't notice that your characters are stepping on separate keys and that there's a thing in the background that's showing what numbers you're pressing until you get a little bit further and you realise there's a thing in the background that looks like it's showing some sort of code and you wonder what on earth that's doing and then you know maybe you rewind a little bit and realise that actually the printer thing was was doing something. It wasn't just a you know, a random piece of scenery. And that happens all the time in the game. There's a lot of other little sections that it took me, even today, having played it previously, took me a couple of times rewinding and playing the same section over and over to notice, you know, at this point, 
you know, drop of water falls down and it completes the electrical circuit that you need to make. Yeah. And you're not watching that the first no, time no. because you're watching what's going on with the characters. Like you want to know the, you know, the the emotions of the two separate characters. And there's there's a thing that you've put in the notes here that talks about the fact that each character have their own emotions and their own kind of abilities. Oh, times, my brain. Yeah. yeah, it's it's abilities, but it's also like their personalities that they have. Yeah. And you notice it when you play it again that, you know, the arena does seem to be more kind of at the forefront of everything. She is normally running ahead and does seems to be pulling friend along in a lot of places. And he seems to be the more kind of nerdy guy Reticent in the situation. Well, yeah. And that's, I think that's really brought on with the, uh, the museum level about halfway through where he seems to be more interested in the level that's based around like the old computers and the old technology. And she's more interested in the level that revolves around like the dinosaur bones and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you, you have to watch all of these things multiple times to notice at this point, the guy stops and he kind of points and he looks scared and he doesn't want to go forwards. But if you're watching him, you also can't watch what's happening in the background. And that's, it's such a, the way that the game goes back and forwards with the, the kind of rewinding fast forwarding thing. And I, it, it plays into it forces you to do it multiple times but it also requires you to do it multiple times and i never realized that i think before i played the game i'd seen screenshots and i'd seen cutscenes and stuff and it looked like it was going to be a platformer so i think that's more what i mm. expected but it's not at all no. there's no kind of platforming aspect no, no skill in that sense whatsoever not really no and no. i was really pleasantly surprised by it Hmm. Yeah, I also I just really appreciate the, the the title screen with the two houses. Just think it's really nice mm. and leads you in. There's a thunderstorm. The the weather throughout the game and the palette changes, shifts darker as the game goes on. As you get closer to the 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 sort of the sad conclusion to everything. Um, but despite that, I would say like that as with the game not having any time pressure as such, which they could easily have done. Oh, gosh, they yeah. could have e easily put in time pressure elements, which would, would have made it a very different experience. Maybe one that some people would enjoy because it would, there would be more stakes, I suppose. But, um, but it never like, even though the game gets this, yes, yeah, slightly more brooding air as it goes on, it never felt truly, scary or threatening or really dark to me and i think that was deliberate i think it's not it's not meant to put people off by being nightmarish or anything like that it's a bit weird and dreamlike but it's and some of the dreams are a little disturbing and sad but they're not it, it never it never goes into horror territory for example which is again something they probably could have done that maybe wouldn't have maybe they felt wouldn't have fit the subject yeah it's because it, uh, there's loads of that in this there's loads of the things where you, you know you look at it and you go well actually for starters with the story and we won't i'm sure we'll get there eventually but they could have gone really dark with a story at the end mm. and that's where i just assumed it was going you know um, mm. and and it didn't um they could have had so they had multiple timelines um in in a level where you manipulate various different things in different timelines could have got really complicated could have got yeah. way more complicated but it didn't yeah. Um, and it could have said, hey, you've got to get from start to finish in one, like, um, thing. Like you, you yeah, know, a you limited number of moves or interactions, something like that, yeah. But there's checkpoints along the way. I mean, they're, they're not physical. You can't, you don't look at them as checkpoints as you're playing. But once you get past a bridge, you can't go back any further again. Yeah. And I think this is, um, I think one of the uh, the things that does, uh, you know, one of the positives that isn't brought up, 
um, a lot when uh, people talk about this game. It's just how uh, toned down everything is and why that is a positive in certain types of games. Mm. Because as you say, if they'd have made it too complicated, I might have tapped out towards the end. If they'd have added time restrictions, it would have just frustrated me. Same if they would have made me rewind right to the start of the stage just to see if I'd missed something. Um, It seemed to know exactly what it was doing throughout um, without, you know... uh, it just wasn't a chore to play. And I'm sure, as you say, there will be people that complain that say this isn't challenging enough. You know, this was too easy. It didn't really offer anything in terms of gameplay or whatever. But but for me, it just, again, hit that sweet spot where it was like, okay, we're going to give you this experience. We're going to give you some puzzles that will make you think, but we're not going to, we're not going to chuck all this brutalize you and yeah. brutalize you. Yeah, there's, there's just no need for it. And I think it really works in its favor, this. I think yeah. for me, the key is it's none of this extreme stuff that most video games are drawn to. You know, it's not, you have to save the world. and No, it's just a story about two friends and a friendship. It doesn't have to be. It's, it's gentle. Gentle. It's okay to be gentle. Yeah. You know, go mm. home, taught us that, right? It's okay to be like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. A small personal tale can mean every bit as much or yeah uh, or even more because it's something we can hopefully there's nobody who just couldn't relate to this game <laughs> somebody who's yeah. never had a friend yeah. or any memories of a friendship if you've got that then you could even if it doesn't like deeply affect you or move you you can still relate to it um and uh and yeah on on a similar attack moving on to the the sort of the audio side of things again the the ambience is, uh, I would say, as with the visuals, it's kind of, uh, it's it's clean um, and it's not overtly joyful at all, but nor is it overtly distressing. It's not really sad or melancholic. It's a little bit downbeat in places. Yeah. But but it's, but I wouldn't have said it was, yeah, it's not, it, it doesn't, may, maybe it's at the ambient, end. There's, it? Yeah, it's more ambient than hard. It's, it's not trying too hard to wrestle your your heartstrings about i wouldn't have said maybe at the end there's a little bit more uh, of the piano but um, but overall again i found it um it it didn't it it wasn't concerned with battering me about the head with the emotion of the situation yeah i think it's it's kind of dreamlike and i think that plays into the narrative of the story if you you watch this from beginning to end and then especially if you pick up on everything that's happened and you play through it again you're watching the two characters who've clearly snuck out of their respective houses in the middle of the night in a storm, like a horrible thunderstorm to go and sit in this tree house and kind of reminisce over their friendship before one of them is moved away to, you know, potentially never see each other again. Yeah. And it's, everything feels like it's dreamlike. It feels like it's, you know, two young people sort of reminiscing over their memories of it's just the, it's the fun that they've had and the, the things that they've done and enjoyed. And every level has a, a theme or a, a world uh, built around the things that happened in their friendship. I mean, them meeting, them kind of playing in the garden together, them going stargazing, uh, going to a museum. It progresses through this friendship, and you realise the end of it. I think for me earlier was the the bit where everything kind of crumbles down. You've got all of their memories, and then you've got this final world that is climbing up this jagged tower in the middle of a storm with all of these things that represented their memories kind of spiraling around them like in this maelstrom of you know just everything being on the brink of collapsing 
you finish that world, it pulls the camera back, the tower collapses, all of the, the worlds that represented their memories all sink into the sea, and all that's left is this treehouse. And that is probably, although very mild in comparison to a lot of other things, that is kind of the bit where you realise, you know, the dream here, the memories here have kind of crumbled and now we have to move on with it. And it then pulls back and the storm has ended and it's another nice day, but everything's changed and everything is that they built together is, is kind of gone in a way. And it's, it's really melancholy and the sound plays into that perfectly. It's such a, like a dreamy, melancholic soundtrack that I don't know what else you could want out of this. It doesn't need to be dramatic. It doesn't need to be sort of pulse pounding beats or anything. It just blends in with everything. Doing some dubstep in there. Yeah, I, I hear yeah. you. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of sound as well, you can't understate how well that they give hints away to certain puzzles um, with certain mm. sound effects. I mean, the the first time you hear, like you, you're jumping past the thing, you jump on a saw, which goes goes through a bit of wood, and you just think it's a bit strange. That saw seems slightly louder than all the other sound effects I've heard, but that's fine. Yeah. You carry on. You realise you can't go any further. You jump back. You hear the saw again, and you're like, "All right, okay, yeah, that is yeah. actually sawing through that wood, isn't it? So let's just go back and forth a few times, and yep, that drops down, and there's a ramp there. So that's great. You know, it's like." That was the first time that I started going, okay, I'm going to have to listen a little bit better because that's also going to give me some big clues to some puzzles. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, some of the some of the work with sound design in this is very clever. Um, but I think, um, if I'm being honest, the, the, the music didn't stick out to me. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it served, served uh, the purpose that it was going for anyway, you know. Yeah. Simon Joslin, in an interview with Rain Colubio for whattoplay.com just earlier this year, said, We wanted something beautifully melancholic. We listened to a lot of Icelandic composers and ambient music, especially with a Swedish game designer at the helm. Uh, In terms of gameplay and story, because the two are so inextricably intertwined in this case, I think we're going to sort of talk about that holistically. Uh, Obviously, we've already alluded to elements of both. But from uh, good old Wikipedia, Josh Allen Bradbury stated that the game was meant to be an allegory for how one looks back at childhood friends when they become older. Bradbury described how Arena and Friend are not necessarily the most compatible friends. Arena is shown more adventurous and outgoing, while Friend is shy and seeks intellectual pursuits. Uh, and as an adult, may make little sense how they developed a friendship. But through the lens of their shared childhood memories, one is able to see how their friendship developed. The time manipulation mechanics are representative of trying to relive these childhood memories, running through them back and forth in order to recall them correctly. Yeah, it did make me think of uh, the friends that I had in the street. I guess we all had some, like when you're a little kid in particular, obviously you start to make school friends from whatever age, but you also have, uh, I guess it's different now because maybe kids just don't play out in the street like we did in the 70s and 80s, but... I used to have a bunch of friends yeah. and they were only my friends because they lived along the road yeah. and we used to get up to adventures and, you know, within the sight of, within sight of the house and not much further. Um, but they are not friends like the ones that you make in adult life where you find that you have shared interests or passions or beliefs or whatever. They're literally the people of a similar age who live along the road from you. I do think there was more to this friendship, though, than that. I mean, I know mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. There were the kids mm. that lived on the street and they were my friends because, you know, they lived on the street and I saw them regularly yeah, yeah, yeah. and we used to hang out and stuff. But um, 
there was a connection here that you would never have with those types of friends. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm most impressed about with how they dealt with this relationship is that at no point did you think, oh, they love each other, you know, in that way. Like there's some sort of romantic connection there. No, Not at any point did you think that. And not at any point did there seem to be one overbearing character and a sidekick. There was no, I don't know, the way they approached it, it really did feel like two people that cared for each other massively. They had a lot of memories together. And again, as we were talking about earlier, I just assumed here comes the bit where there's a car crash or one of them is dying and the other one's sitting at their bed. Maybe they're old now and they're married and one of them's dying or something like that. That's going to be yeah, the end. Right, or whatever. Right. Yeah, right. The they're end, kind the of easy, is, um, so, easy parachute pulls to try and evoke emotion. Yeah, exactly. Things. And I'm not against that. Like, I'm fundamentally, no, no. I'm not against that stuff. And um, We've and, all cried at the first 10 minutes of Up, right? Yeah, oh, you know. massively so. <laughs> and, you know, you've got things like brothers and, oh, wait, I don't want to. Okay, uh, I'll move on quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, this, with this, the fact that the, I don't want to say punchline, but that the, the climax of the story is zooming out and seeing that one of them's got a for sale sign above their yeah. head, uh, above their head, above the, next to their <laughs> house. <laughs> they haven't been sold. Um, next to their house, into child them. slavery. Yeah, they, they, uh, sold, that sold. would be tragic. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. And um, they literally got like a sold sign next to their house. Yeah. Um, and then there's that hug, and they move away. Yeah. There are hints to what's coming earlier on 100%. in the game. One hundred percent. Yeah, you see a box yeah, with uh, Arena's room and all that kind yeah, of. Yeah, but thing. that was that's the first level, isn't it? So I was assuming that that was when yeah. she was moving in next door. Yeah, oh. that's the opposite way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's moving into the house. the The memories seem to happen in sort of a time time going on kind I of. I guess way, it like- still alluded to a suggestion to me that that was that would what was going around would come around in the sense that, yeah, they were maybe a transient family that moved for their parents' work or or whatever. And then, so when the camera zooms out and you see that, you know, because it wasn't like a really tragic ending. Yeah. It was just a very sad one. It hit me so much harder than yeah. a really tragic ending would have, right? Um, and, I, and I do think, I disagree with Alex where it says it doesn't earn it because I think it totally does because... Mm. Then from that moment there on, I was thinking through the imagery that I'd seen throughout the levels and um, throughout the game, and I and and even the the game plan, what you're doing, and I just thought, so what were they doing that night? Because there's a we see them in the in the treehouse, and then we see them in the next morning. What was happening that night? And I thought, well, of course, they're going through their memories, they're sharing their memories, they're 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 talking about the times that they'd had together and all they wanted to do was slow down time and make mm. it stop. And mm. in, if you look at it from a different angle, when you are sitting chatting to a really close friend on a one-on-one basis like that, you do feel like time stops and yeah. it's just you two in that moment. And, you know, it does, it can feel quite dreamy because you're zoned in to this other person that you really care about and you, you're going through these memories and, um, and sort of unpacking thoughts in your mind, and and time is kind of lost, right? You're not. No one's looking at their watch when that's happening, and it it and I think it just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I was like, wow, yeah, and no, I know exactly that feeling. I know exactly that feeling when when 
you feel like you're not going to see someone for a long time or or where you've got a lot to say to each other and and you have those conversations and it does manipulate time in those moments and it, I kind of felt that actually everything it's done to that point has led up to just it wasn't like um you know like some games are trying to make a point they're trying to tell you something or they're trying to get something across this didn't feel like that it felt like more it was like like it was just trying to remind you of that feeling you know and you're mm. going I can relate to that so well and they've nailed that feeling and yeah really yeah it's great yeah sorry I just want to build on what they've said on a particular level uh, or that really emphasizes that because when you're having those conversations you're, you're talking about things that are really mundane and of not no interest in, to anyone else apart from the pair of you because you shared that experience and that particular mm. one was where you where I think it's Arena. She spills loads of popcorn everywhere. And oh, that's, that's right. They yeah, yeah. probably mm. had that event where she. They were, I think they're watching TV or something and playing games. I think they're playing. And she's, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it just goes everywhere. You know, all this popcorn, and it's really exaggerated where all this popcorn goes. And it's clearly something that Brent may have sort of, yeah. you know, chided her about. I got the feeling many times that uh, this was uh, a lot of these memories were based on sort of real memories from the the creative team behind this, because exactly that, like maybe some of them were kind of more generic, but the fact that the kids were blatantly playing on what looked like a PS1 made Mm. me think that this sets this in a particular time that would work given the sort of the uh, age I would expect the developers to be like younger than me, basically. (laughs) Um, and I think there's also something to be said. We're talking about the the type of friendship these two share and the fact that there's more to it than they just live together. I think there's something, it's probably saying something good about the fact that uh, different people bring different things to a relationship. Like as in you often end up being really good with friends with people with very different, not necessarily like I, I don't tend to be good friends with people who have a very different worldview to me because I think those things are quite fundamentally important. But in terms of like skill sets, um, like Jay and I, Jay and I who uh, who run this whole shebang together, we have uh, complementary skill sets uh, in the sense that the things I'm good at, he's not good at and vice versa. Like neither of us has got the other person's skills, but together we can do all the things that need to be done. And I think Arena and Frent in this are very much like that in that you can... There are there are things that uh, Frent's sort of uh, intellectual mind, his his uh, his logical thinking, and and whatever else can figure out. Whereas uh, Arena's kind of her go get go getting attitude is is the thing that needs to solve certain other puzzles. And again, r- what's interesting about the game is again an area where they could have made it way 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 more complex. Potentially, yes, potentially a bigger might for some more interesting game but they could have made it so that it was actually a a game where you have to individually manage the two characters like going back to head over heels or something like that where you've got one character that can literally do one set of moves and another character that can do another i'm sure there are more contemporary examples than um than head over heels which is from 1987 but um, <laughs> but that that kind of idea uh which i think yeah has it has merits uh in in itself the moment you do that though and going back to my original point 
You yeah. lose all that animation. You lose that connection between the characters. Yeah, right. You know, that all goes away. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe some people would have enjoyed a game like that more. I, I don't think mm. I would. I think... What- you had more direct control. You mentioned Brothers earlier, Tale of Two Sons. Yes. A uh, game we covered some time ago. Uh, in that game, you have direct control over both characters. You, and there was still an emotional pull that, that there, game managed there to elicit. There absolutely was, yeah, there was. But then that was, yeah, no, I mean, it, I, I'm not saying it's not achievable, but what I'm saying is that what this game excels at, because yeah. if you look at the animation um, and the connection between the brothers in that game, they were very video gamey. You know, they would they, they would spin around on the spot. So, you know, yeah. there are moments where you are, you're accidentally controlling the wrong one. So... Mm. In oh, the so context many times. of the game, one of them's running <laughs> off into the distance and the other one's spinning around on a circle or whatever. Yeah, um, a bit slapstick at times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas this, there's none of that. Like, as you say, there's so much character delivered through their, what they're doing um, that that would all be lost if, if they'd have gone down that route, I think. There's a very strong element that stuck out to me here of this is basically the way that kids play and the way that kids' minds uh project onto other things where uh, where you've got these levels that for me say the the level quite late on with the storm drain it took me like half an hour and i was playing through this level thinking oh my god i don't have children but if i had kids and i found out that they were playing in a storm drain (laughs) i would lose my mind at them i would be so angry and then you figure out like right at the very end of it it just shows you one little like comic book panel that is They've gone slightly inside this entrance and Arena's trying to get her jacket off a grate. They haven't actually gone into the sewers. They're not actually at any risk of getting trapped in the sewers and drowning in the yeah. you know, in the sort of the overflow water. But everything is like that. The stargazing level is kind of the same. It seems like it's this huge long thing that takes you to, you know, getting out to the park and going stargazing, and then you realise actually this is this is literally the same garden that's between their houses. Yeah. I kept thinking that they were going to a play park that would be some distance away, but yeah, it, right. it shows yeah. later on that it is literally the same little park between <laughs> the houses. Like the enhanced Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, 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 enhanced basically. and embellished by childhood imagination, which is yeah, exactly what exactly. you do. And everything does when you are smaller. Everything seems bigger, and when you're a kid and you don't understand how the world works, even that. Uh, I, I recently went for a walk back around um, some of the old places I lived as a child because I still live in the same town and um, some of those places that looked big and miles away and scary and dangerous now are just they're just so inconsequential but when you're a kid because of the scale of everything and because of what you know and what yeah what what everything's an adventure when you're that age yeah exactly yeah we know from uh, many interviews with uh, Shigeru Miyamoto that so much of what we all love about Mario and Zelda uh, is stuff that he based on exactly those feelings as a kid, like the chain chomps being a being a dog and the, the, the whole feeling of going into any kind of mysterious opening cubbyhole. It could just be someone's like, you know, side entrance for where they put their bins or something. But when you're a kid, it's like a gateway to another world. I'm thinking of Pan's Labyrinth as well, the Guillermo del Toro movie where she creates this entire fantasy to escape from the horrors of the the Spanish Civil War. And obviously these kids, as far as we know, there's no suggestion that this is a, uh, this war of mine type scenario. They're not, not, it's just totally, it's just regular suburban life, isn't it? Yeah. 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 They're just two kids. I mean, they, they, um, 
I don't even know who the treehouse belongs to, do we? But um, it's just in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. You, you yeah. presume that they build it. There's the episode or the the world where it looks like they're in the process of building it. That's one of their memories. Yeah. I think the really cure here isn't it? And I've described this earlier, but yes, it's mundane. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it is mundane. Well, the mundane know, is yeah. magic when you're that old. Yeah. So yeah. That's and, the feeling that it wants to evoke and it does yeah. it in such yeah. a good way. Exactly that. And um, and again, that it makes it relatable in the sense that if as soon as you have, even if you had a one big tragic event, like there's a chance that the the player is has been lucky enough never to have experienced such a tragic event. Whereas surely everyone has had I mean, maybe you've never even had a, ch- a childhood friend move away or something, but you've certainly lost a friend or, or, you know, lost track or lost contact with a friend or something like that. So it's it's hard to imagine that there isn't yeah, something here for everyone. Um, yeah, it's not. Uh, you mentioned children and storm drains there. And I'm thinking, you know, God, yeah, they could have they could could have gone down the heavy rain route. Um, <laughs> We've all seen uh, the recent it movies. Oh yeah, could have been. Yeah, could have been that. Well, maybe that's uh, why he had to move away. Parents saw him down the storm train. And they were like, "Nah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> we're out yeah. of here." <laughs> what? What we just did? We David Cage. Sorry. Okay, fine. Let's go. Yeah, David Cage. David Cage. David, David David Cage and Pennywise the Clown together down a drain. Although Better I would point out, I'd watch that movie. Yeah. I'd watch I it. Point out the, yeah, this boy was called Friend, not Jason. Yes. Yeah. Reprobate Gamer from the forum says, I was intrigued by the trailer as the facility to set your time forward and back allows the potential for some interesting challenges. The story is poignant, but not overdone, and it's shown in a lovely style. However, I found the meat of the game to be just a little lacking. I was reminded a little of Pixel Hunt games in that you were not so much using the time setting ability to change puzzles as you were using it to find the correct point in a cycle to progress your character. A polished game and the abstract nature followed uh, allowed for some fun play areas, but ultimately the concept wasn't iterated enough to provide sufficient substance for me. Which is something we've sort of already alluded to, that maybe there was a game here that does get more complicated, and maybe that's what some, some people want and, and some people don't. What I will say is, we, we've already mentioned some people... Uh, we all felt like this is a game where it makes you feel smart and you don't feel like you have to look stuff up. There was one I had to look up, which is which was that right towards the end. Is it the uh, moon? Yes. Uh, I so perspective based yeah, puzzle. I've heard a lot yeah. of that. Yeah, I've, I've and heard. I, I had I had it in my head that it was something along those lines, but I thought the the positioning was a bit too kind of pernickety and specific compared to what had come in the rest of the game. Sometimes a lot of puzzles are like that. For me, going back to the saw, that had me. I know. I know. Just goes to show because that that one I solved before I'd even got to it. Like I just right. saw it and I was like, yeah. So it just goes to show everyone's brain works differently, don't, Very don't differently, they? Yeah. When I figured it out, it's like, oh, of course. Cool. Yeah, it's always a way. They're you know they're 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 forehead slapping ones, aren't they? Yeah. But I felt like a couple of the later ones with the like with the lightning that extends. So you have to pause mm. uh, oh, the t- the time. <laughs> yeah, but is there a is there even I felt, was there much of a clue to those? It felt like it was almost breaking its own rules. There's a a moment where the rain's coming down. If you're, I suppose Mm. if you're going through it full pelt, then you might not pick up on certain things. But if if you're going a little bit slower, there is just a little spark in a moment there. And then you notice 
the um the cable of the coming out of the back of the telly or the microwave, yes. I can't remember what it was. And that's TV, splintered yeah. at the end and you're going, Well, why is that splintered? Yeah. Obviously it's Yeah. Yeah. No, you just uh, don't try and blame the game. <laughs> you just, just not... gotta be more gotta be more observant. Yeah, well I mean, you've got to be more brainy. Some of us have it, Leon. <laughs> that's some true, of us yeah. don't. I was waiting for this. Go on. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. my, my brain is atrophying as I as I. They did say, I read I mean, an article about um, uh, the puzzles in this, and they said that actually uh, the people that seem to struggle with this uh, tend to be overrated podcasters. So the, uh, tell me <laughs> yeah. again, what were yeah. the ones that you were struggling with? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's good, it's good. Simon Jocelyn, that interview again with Rain Colubio for whattoplay.com, said, We wanted to involve fantastical elements in the story and looked at voyage and return narrative archetypes such as Alice in Wonderland, Pan's Labyrinth and Coraline for inspiration. The gardens themselves take inspiration from contemporary illustration and Japanese gardens called Karasansui. The gardens contribute a lot in creating relaxing, peaceful spaces because of their gentle, calming compositions. The formations of each garden are carefully balanced in harmonic, asymmetrical silhouettes. And that's where much of their beauty comes from. Also, the negative space surrounding the central spire enhances the calming, peaceful experience by balancing the noise in the centre. These ideas came directly from looking at the Japanese rock gardens. The reason that quote stands out to me is because i believe that's the exact same inspiration as captain toad treasure tracker uh so yeah there's uh, there's links everywhere and i actually thought even though in this game the gardens between you don't get uh kind of sucked into the void and destroyed at any stage they did actually remind me a little of the environments of some of super mario galaxies it's a bit like that with the kind of center of gravity going around i think most levels have a spire in the middle and mm. as you go through the different worlds it gets bigger and you know more more kind of aggressive looking but it always revolves around you kind of climbing up a spiral to the yeah. the nexus point in the middle yeah for sure the interface is something that struck me immediately uh and again we've already mentioned yes you look at the game in a video or promo or whatever and like david thought how do i control both the characters is it like brothers is it a platformer and it turns out when you actually play the game, you could play this game with one finger, literally. If in terms of accessibility for somebody with a physical disability, say, this game would be potentially fantastic because you can only ever be either rewinding, forward winding or pressing the one interact button at any particular point. You never need to press more than one thing at a time. Yeah, and it's, it's not like you have to get the timing right either for pressing that button. Mm. It's, um, yeah. You, you literally just fast forward to the right bit or rewind to the right bit and then press the button you know it's um yeah a really accessible game maybe one point quite late on there's a puzzle which kind of uh, subverts the the previous way that the game's been played with the three garden friends uh bouncing around Mm. depending on which setting you've got on the the walkman oh yeah and there's always one moving and you do have to shut it off at a certain time to get them to stop where you want almost timing based yeah you're right yeah Yeah. it's the only point where it Mm. it does anything beyond just moving forwards and backwards you have to be a little bit more careful about what you're doing yeah but again you've you've got infinite tries at that so there's no fail state whatsoever you've um you've also got the the option to use the triggers rather than the stick itself to control yeah i did yeah i found that much 
much better actually just using I the use triggers. the triggers to because it stopped me my brain still wanted to try and directly control the characters yeah, a lot yeah. of the time yeah. if I was using the stick so I'd be like go up there and if you use the triggers it feels more like what the game is I think which is exactly as you said scrubbing backwards and forwards through time There's no, this isn't a dexterity game it really isn't oh no, you know, you, you, no. this is not a platformer as Dave has opened up with it really it, they, they happen to jump sometimes but only yeah. there's not they did they can just do it. That's okay. Um, but there are times when certainly when the sewer outflow stuff and the later ones where well they'll only jump if they've got something to jump onto. Yeah. And that that's that's quite you know, so there's little subtle hints at other more traditional gameplay mechanics happening, but really it's just the scrubbing. Uh, I just love and I did use I didn't use the triggers at all, I simply used the thumbstick because I was more comfortable with that because yeah. I I wasn't. I think I was just regressing back to Nebulous, really, and thinking, "Well, I'm rotating the world, really." Mm, yeah, and yeah. that's fine. I'm scrubbing, and and I found it easier to get more precise movements with it because some of the was a little not quite pixel perfect, but especially you know the, we hinted at the puzzle about the moon and uh, and uh, the latter one, and also the fact that when it coalesced into that lamp, uh, as a wonderful little visual. Yeah, that's very cool. Very good. I love that. Right. Literally taking the moon out of the sky into your lamp. Yeah, and you can you can tell that it's going towards that the the yeah. one puzzle where you're moving the moon across the sky. By the time you get to actually plucking the moon into your lamp, and you know, I might as well point out that I think that is directly taken from the description of the achievement. After you get it, it yeah. says yeah. something about you pluck the moon from the sky, which is a beautiful yeah. piece of yeah. uh, prose to put in there. Mm. But you can see that it's going to that point. It's more just figuring out the two or three steps that are along the way to getting there than actually realising what they're going for. Mm. Or just looking them up, eh, eh Leon? <laughs> <laughs> the greatest thing about this game is the simplicity of the interface and controls. If you haven't mentioned them, I'll explain that already. I want to. Because the great yeah. thing about puzzle games, and Dave knows this about threes, is that you, it's so obvious what you can and can't do. You know, It's so obvious for the most part. There are some, you know, hiccups, a lot of hiccups, sort of curveballs, that's another phrase, like the saw for me, uh, and uh, the, the the water droplets and uh, for other, you know, and the moon for, for, for Leon and stuff. Yeah. But we, we generally speaking, it was, you know what the rules are, you know what you can do, and uh, generally speaking, it was, a, 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 it, it definitely does a really good job of saying, this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do. And have at it, and you just and that made it such a pleasurable experience to go through for me. I realised another yeah. game that it's uh, it was sort of a something of a spiritual successor to Nebulous in a way, but far more uh, well similarly difficult and but even more brutal and violent, which was the Killing Game Show, which was uh, not only does it have the round the outside of the the hollow level thing going on, but it also had a rewind ability. It was one of the first games I played where that I can remember, which had the the thing that we now associate perhaps most with Forza, which is the you know rewind to the bit before you lost control of the car. It very much had that going on. Uh, that's a 1990 game um, from Raising Hell Software, and they went on to become Bizarre Creations, who of course did the um, the Project Gotham games. Uh, I always like tracing these things back. 
Simon Jocelyn again uh, from that interview with whattoplay.com said it all started from asking how we could turn the timeline interface Tom Cruise uses in Minority Report into a game. The experience of using a timeline to review and inspect scenarios felt fascinating and embryonic of intricate quizzical experiences. It opened some interesting avenues for us to explore and admittedly took us a long time to know where we were going with it. I suppose this could have been a Kinect game in that sense. Uh, thank God it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no one would have played it then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. L- literally two controls just, you know, turning into basically playing on anything. I think one of the things that, that I felt quite, uh, I guess quite warmly towards this was the idea that I looked up what you could play this on before we did the podcast. And there's a list of basically everything, including all the different phone things. And I thought, oh, this actually would be really good to play on, on a phone or an iPad or something yeah, why like that. Not? And honestly, I don't think, I don't think that very often. No, right. like, yeah. After seeing that, I went onto my phone and I looked at the play store and I was like, I could buy GTA San Andreas and play this on my phone. Mm. And how on earth am I going to play a game that was designed around a PS2 Xbox controller on my phone without, you know, presumably Hook a Bluetooth controller, controller that yeah, you're supposed yeah. to play that on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're like months away from the, the um, Xbox X thing. Cloud coming out. And presumably that's going to be the same. I'm not actually going to play Gears of War on my phone with a touch controller. I'm going to play it by Bluetooth oh, here. controller. It did make me think of the idea that if you have a, like a nice Surface laptop kind of tablet or a, a nice big iPad, this would be really, really yeah. good for that. This is a studio that cuts its teeth on mobile games. And, well, yeah, uh, these they these brain conductor games that have been going for 10 years or so at this point, so they should know what they're doing. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. They decided to launch this first on home consoles and then, then ported it to mobile after. Maybe they felt it would give it more... Get get it more attention in that space, which probably worked. Uh, there are so many mobile games that you know just come and go and and get ignored. But that's probably also true on the Switch Store. I've always assumed like mobile store and like Steam, you release things that maybe get a small number of downloads and then just kind of get buried underneath everything else. Yeah, and potentially, well, I know that the PlayStation and the Xbox Store have gone more in that general direction of like, if I boot Certainly up the, the Xbox eShop one has, now, yeah. yeah, if I go and look at the store, there is so much stuff on any of those three consoles that will get buried within a week and like 50 people will play and love. Yeah. But something like this, it feels like it's more, especially getting it out on Game Pass, I don't know the, the deal with the PS4 release coming earlier, but yeah. it feels like it's a way to actually get people to pay attention to it more yeah. than just releasing it on the iOS and hoping that someone will latch on. It's a whole it's a whole uh, topic unto itself which is how, you know, the, uh, how and why so many of these worthwhile games how so many of them go completely under the radar or you'll sometimes get something that gets like one champion on a podcast like Dave or something and uh, or me on a, one of our uh, less formal shows trying to talk something up and and you know desperately trying to get it some traction with what little influence we have but whether some whether a game of this sort of level of stature that that's had good notices and and good uh, buzz at, at shows, but there's there's so much stuff. That, I mean, Chris, you you must play so much stuff that uh, that you see at, at packs and places like that, and and also interview a lot of the developers. A lot of stuff that's really really worthwhile and interesting, and it probably goes on to do okay and fine. But what the secret is 
beyond luck uh, and serendipity to getting breaking out and becoming one of the massive massive hits like stardew valley or something i just i don't think there's any kind of guaranteed winning formula is it unless unless there is like you know how bill drummond famously wrote the manual how to have a number one hit single that a few people actually followed and and did um if there is a way to to kind of do make your game a guaranteed indie smash uh what that formula is does anyone know it and microtransactions right yeah (laughs) stick it on mobile have some sort of facebook cam campaign I've got it down. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I was going to raise is, um, you know, what is the that magical sort of like thing? And I think you know we've all been to these shows, whether it's EGX or PAX, it doesn't matter. And we all get drawn to certain games. Also, have like discussions like, did you see the thing? Did you see? I mean, like Lonely Mountains downhill, for example. Yeah, that right. was tucked away in the corner of level six uh, of, of PAX, uh, and you couldn't get to it unless you purposely went to see it. It mm. was in a terrible place. But I adored it, and then when it came out, when it was shown in the UK and stuff, I was I talked to, to, to Sean Bell about it, and it's a fabulous game. And also that, on Game Pass, folks. Yeah, and mm. that that's a really good example of a game that has caught on a little. I think yeah. I think yeah. it's quite a good success. I've certainly streamed it. I've been banging the drum about that exquisite game because yeah. it is, in my opinion. And, Obviously, um, we never um, uh, we never really have sales figures when we do digital only games because yeah. they just don't we just don't know what they are no one tells us but i think every, uh, certain games have a certain magic to them and then people are drawn to them but then sometimes their the sheen wears off um and that's fine um uh, but generally speaking it's just those games that um uh, are have inventiveness to them and a game that we're talking about now personally i believe a lot of people when you say the you know the gardens in between you go oh, i've heard of that Yes, it's quite good, isn't it? That's generally what the feedback you get from people is, uh, and it's one of those. And it's got that. It's got a lot. Of, I'm not a designer, so I don't know how to do that. But there was the, the, there's a magic to them. There's a, a not magic, but there's a feeling to them that they have been crafted rather yeah. than manufactured. But as you, I, for sure, but as you also know, like a lot of the games you've covered on the Sausage Factory haven't gain that traction despite probably deserving to in the same way that yeah. we've all seen films that only six other people have seen that we thought were absolutely magical or albums we know that and adore yeah. that we think are deserve deserve way more attention yeah. so what well, i mean obviously well done to the gardens between assuming it it has done well and it it's i mean hey it's got a cane and rinse podcast about it um but there are there are yeah so many other titles that mm. yeah just get just get buried and um I, yeah no idea what the answer is. Oh. Luckily, there's a lot of people playing video games these days, so most <laughs> things get some kind of an audience. Yeah, I mean, as an example, this is not a bang this drum too hard, but you know, there's a game called Hellpoint, which I've actually interviewed developers for. It's published by Tiny Build. It's basically a Souls-like roguelike game, which is science fiction, and I streamed it, and people really liked it. What is this? What 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 is this? It's, yeah, it's sci-fi, but it's like, but it's soul-like. I just, I know, and then people said, "Well, can you stream it again?" Was you know, like, okay. So now we've made a new series about just me playing Hellpoint, which is a game I don't know anyone really talking about. It's just a shame because it's it's actually quite good and really yeah. well developed and put together, and visuals are incredible. But it's just you know, it's uh, on everything. It's been out two weeks at the time of recording. Indeed. <laughs> Check, the, it out. Um, Check it out. Check it out. Look this up now. Yeah, but the point is, um, 
you know, I've been starting. I, I did a stream, you know, at the time of recording this show last night for two and a half hours. Yeah, it's fabulous, fabulous game. But again, you know, it has all the ingredients, but you know, not a lot of people are talking about it. Eventually, yeah, exactly. But there yeah. you go. Could be a, a one with a long tail, a slow burner. Anyway, yeah. back to the gardens between. Mm-hmm. Toon Scottoon from the forum says, the thing that impresses me most about the gardens between is the way it's stuck with me, despite my not having played it since it first came to Switch in 2018. I finished it in two sittings, but there are flourishes in this game that I can still recall after spending hundreds of hours in other virtual worlds. A lot of this comes by way of sound effects. The chime noise that issues when you hit one of the action boxes and the assembling and disassembling sound the world makes felt distinct, familiar and fresh all at once. I adore them. If I were to criticise the game, I'd have to invoke a comment Leon Cox made back on Kane and Rince issue 4 about the grip mechanic in Shadow of the, Col- uh, Shadow of the Colossus. He said, <clears throat> holding R1 is not a game. And although I happen to like that mechanic, shortish meditative, meditative semi-puzzlers like The Gardens Between and Abzu do make me ask a similar question about whether whether when I'm experiencing them, I'm actually at play. It's a lot of just pointing the analog stick in one direction, which does give the player the chance to drink in the majestic visual assemblage the gardens between offers. One part game, one part virtual sculpture park, the gardens between is a text I happily remember, but which has not pulled me back into position to enjoy it again. Take that, Leon, something you said nine years ago. I know. Back in your face. Funnily enough, though, I did recently replay, well, replay, I played the remake of Shadow of the Colossus and I found myself shouting almost exactly those words at the screen as I clung on to some of those colossi. Holding R1 is not a game. It's not fair because it's a, that's an absolute hyperbolic comment. <laughs> holding R1 like, is... I'm vehemently against that, that quote. Holding <laughs> R1 is not a game that R1 I want to play. I'm reading a book or watching a movie. <laughs> yeah. Much. <laughs> holding r1 is not a game that i enjoy playing is uh, is the conclusion to that comment but i want to go back to toon scottoon's initial point which uh, because it's something uh, john i think you said uh, david as well possibly that even though it had been a couple of years or so since you last played this game the puzzles came back to you in a way that i know we've all we, we've all been back to games before because we loved them the first time around or because we were preparing for a podcast such as this one and one of the most frustrating things about returning to an old game with puzzles in is not being able to solve the puzzles that you solved previously i've solved this already why can't i solve it now uh, but it seems like this game for whatever reason the nature of the puzzles there's something about the way this game comes together that means that these solutions stick in your heads i think it's that feeling of bashing your head against something and then coming, you know, two and two years later, whatever, 20 months later, and just remembering, oh, that bloody calculator keypad thing on the floor. I remember that being a thing and then playing it today. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. The minute I walk over this keypad, remember that this was a thing <laughs> that I have to actually keep in my head rather than have to figure it out from the first time. And there were a few that were like that. And I mean, granted, I think narrative experiences get me in that way. Like, I still remember listening to the audio logs and stuff from Gone Home so strongly in my head, despite the fact that there was no interaction involved or virtually no interaction involved in that. Like, maybe it's just, maybe it's just the stories. Like, I just enjoy the the quality storyline that sticks with me more so than yeah. The I mean, I, the obviously, there was no story during playing this, but I I, I think. 
the answer to that question is that, uh, like, why do the puzzles stick out in your head in this one and maybe not others? Is that each puzzle is completely unique to look at? They're all, re- they're all, um, mm. they're all based on individual objects that you don't see anywhere else in that game. You know, there's the there's the, point, the printer, yeah. there's the the so you're not looking at a puzzle literally as a pl- puzzle. You've got a picture in your brain, so when you see that picture again a few years later, you know yeah. what the important important elements in that picture is. Course, Unlike really other puzzles point. where it's like you're in a room, some cubes, and yeah, yeah some cubes, or you're in a room and there's a ladder, another side, but the 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 overall look yeah. of every room is kind of the same in this. You're talking about very unique objects for each puzzle. That's actually what um, yeah. those uh, memory training techniques are all yeah, based around, Darren, aren't they? Darren Brown's yeah. uh, thing mm. about um, visualizing, yeah, building mm. a palace in your mind and and p- putting stuff away. Yeah. yeah so um, just on the, the, I think what I love about each sort of level and design, puzzle design, was really the fact that it's representing a, a fractured memory that probably only happened a year ago for these. Yeah, right. Too. Yeah. But it's still, even at yeah. time, I try to remember sort of certain events. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm even older than Leon. And uh, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it is fractured. It is slightly broken. It's slightly distorted. It's like, yeah. wait, was that yellow or blue? Does it matter? Yes. You know, it's just, was that, where, you know, where, where were we sitting then? What, what were we playing at that point? What was. Was it you know, an afternoon? Was it, 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 it? All those details start to fade away, and then all you got left is other seemingly unimportant details that become really big and in actually the pertinent parts. Yeah, yeah and that's uh, why you know why is that? Should probably go see the GP, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I understand the point. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it'd be a long waiting. Get that, get that checked August out. August twenty twenty. Where am I? What am I doing? Oh, Chris is off again. <laughs> <laughs> Time has lost no, all meaning. I thought the the printer was like the size of it. It's huge compared to everything else. I mean, there's probably mechanic to it because you had to indicate on that printer as you as you pressed and went backwards and forwards over yeah. to do various. Yeah. I think there's things. there's a narrative as well that yeah. they're in a museum looking at old computer tech yeah. at this point in the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it's they not were. supposed to be current. Although to be fair, I looked at this, I was like, they look like they're playing on. A generic enough console that still looks like it's modelled around the PS One. Yeah. But they are playing on a TV that looks like it was built in like nineteen seventy four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know what the, the difference between those was. Also yeah. they were playing an NES looking game on their PS one. So, you know, who knows? Perhaps these are unreliable narrators. <laughs> but there's there's another point to this that I found I have to mention. I f- found really, really nostalgic. Like I saw the little the garden friends or the game calls them garden friends, the little boxes that hop around. Boxes with and feet, yeah. It took me such a long time looking at these, trying to figure out why they were evoking something in my memory. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're like these little construction building cubes. But bang on, Lego, yeah. Have That's school. what I thought, yeah, 100%. Apparently they're called... Um, shit, where are my notes? Um, they're called Mathlink cubes. Ah, uh, okay. I do remember. We had those at school, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little multicolored cube. Five of the six sides of it have got like a circular indentation. And then the sixth side has the, I guess, the the male to the female Mm. uh, link on them. (laughs) And that's exactly what these things reminded me of. The first time I saw them, I was like, we used to stick these together and like make towers and stuff out of them. Yeah, yeah. But these things fly around and dump themselves into pots of paint. Oh, they do do that. 
<laughs> I mean, given the fair, choice, at school, I could have I could have dumped a math link cube into a pot. Yeah, or <laughs> well, some of that glue appropriate. that you peel yeah. off. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say we could uh, look back at a few of the, the we mentioned a few that stood out to us already before. I'm just wondering if there's uh, any other uh, constellations as they are. Uh, there's uh, Jenga and Dominoes, the level Puzzle 5 is called. I don't remember. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, yes. You you do knock over some. Uh, you, yes. you set up a kind of domino uh, rally like type effect to, to set something in motion. Most of the puzzles, I suppose, the key is determining which elements you can change. Like the, so the, there are some, some changing some things or rewinding and forward winding through some aspects will never change anything. You'll just continue to watch the same events play out, but certain elements can be, I guess the idea is that you're, slotting your memory into place and therefore the the memory can yeah that's continue. pushing it i mean i mean i i it constantly breaks its own rules and i was fine think- with that but at the same time i think trying to find a reason for it doing that is yeah i mean there are loads of things that stay in place when you rewind that whereas other that's objects true. don't and stuff and it's yes i'm sure you could uh crowbar some meaning in there somewhere but i i, I do think it is very loose with its own rules that it sets out in terms of time manipulation but then, okay. you know, that's fine. I thought that too, but I thought maybe that was me being... No, that no. That was I, how I, I missed the solution. You know what? I think um, maybe we're in the same boat with that, Leon. Uh, I'm I'm sure someone can come with a decent theory uh, to support all that stuff. But for me, I was kind of like, oh, Don, why, <laughs> why is that rewinding and that not? Where, where, where are we going here? But then I suppose, you know, it's just them reminiscing their... You wouldn't have a game stuff. otherwise. Oh, that's- just have a... That's, that's, that's possibly true. it, yes. That is yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to uh, build off of some of the other comments in, in the forums. It's often mentioned about the point-and-click aspect of the game. It does feel a little bit like that. It can't help that because they you. were puzzle games as well. But there is a phenomena in point-and-click games that thankfully has now died, but uh, as irrelevant to me saying died, in that there's a concept called dead man walking, which is basically means that you're going through areas but you've already lost. You yeah, did a right. stupid decision earlier on, yeah. four or five screens ago. You don't know, but yeah. by the time you reach it, oh, yeah, you're already dead. Why? Because you didn't do, you didn't put the flower pot onto the donkey yeah. about five. What? Yeah, sorry. Unacceptable game design in, in, in the modern world. But Sierra games in the 80s. I have indeed, yeah. And, but they, do, they did happen quite. And whereas, of course, Gardens Between does not suffer from this at all. Um, could have easily have done because you could have gone down a path and like, oh, actually, I can't go back now because I've gone too far forward down this thing. But as Dave says, there's lovely checkpoints. It's just, it was, didn't feel that way. And, and when there are situations, ever since I encountered the saw, keep on banging on about that saw, I realised that the <laughs> rules that I thought existed don't always exist for all the yes. objects in space. And when yeah. I figured that out, I went, oh, okay. It's not just you, the two characters, and them interacting with pulleys or, or, or a pulley or indeed a bell or, or indeed the lantern. It's not just about them. It's also the objects interacting and how they interact with things in the world. And that's how and you have to really latch onto that because it's clear that uh, the developers also did because they felt that, as John says, if they didn't do that, it wouldn't be a game. And, you know, it's, it's, you're right. It's a bit of a shame for a video game. Uh-huh. Um, 
So we mentioned a few times the paint buckets one. Let's sort of unpack a bit why that one has stuck with us as being interesting. So there are the 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 garden friends, the jumping lantern holders. They are as you fast forward time or forward time, I should say, um, through the level. Uh, the little cubes are jumping in and out different color pots of paint. Why? Why do you think that one stuck with us? Because oh, not exactly think, why that stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, because it was the first time in that game where you realize that you're not just looking around for certain objects and you're not just, you know, you're not looking for a certain 10 second piece of that timeline to tell you what the answer to the puzzle is. You're looking at the whole thing. So you're rewinding from the start to the end of what you're allowed to, uh, that chunk of that timeline. And you've got to watch something from the start to the end of that to realize which one is the correct uh the correct yeah. jumping thing like what and you know it gives you clues with the different colors of what paints it's jumping in and stuff but yeah that's where you have to look at an extended period of time and have to follow follow something from start to end and that's why it sticks out for me that's why that's uh that was kind mm. of um that that was the moment where i went oh, okay they're going to do different things than just ringing bells and <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah, do this shot and there's a cheekiness to it and a character yeah, and it absolutely. gives the the garden friends a sort of a bit of personality. Yeah. Yeah, oddly enough, what mm. they're doing is jumping what about. What are they doing, though? But why are they doing it? I mean, a bit Maybe. mischievous, isn't it? Like, when I went, yeah. saw, well, tracked one, I went, where are you going? Why? Yeah. Why are you going to the orange one now? You were blue. Oh, well, you're not to be trusted. It turns out it was the <laughs> right one. But, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Just, why, just, just pick a colour. Pick one. But no. Yeah, I suppose the thing we haven't explained to those who haven't played the game is uh, we have mentioned the lantern. So, yes, the lantern is always the ultimate solution to completing each level is putting it on a pedestal at the top, which opens up or closes the level and opens up another one. Uh, the issue is that certain times either you can't if you're carrying the light, it will actually break your path forward by uh, if you're carrying the light, it will blow away this uh, sort of purplish smoke. Uh, and also there are these sort of little um, plants. Black holes. Uh, yeah, black holes, if you like, things that suck away the light from your lantern. So the I suppose if there's one constant to the puzzle, it is about getting an orb of light to the end, but you, you can't always have it with you for various reasons. So sometimes you might need to put the lantern with or without the light on a garden friend and leave it behind as as the level moves on, that kind of thing. Uh, what else we got? Yeah, so there's the the keyboard one. That's yeah. I thought, although it didn't take me too long to work out, certainly not one I had to look up. The 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 inputting the code. As soon as I saw the number come up on the screen, that was actually one of the only things I wrote down the entire time I was playing. Uh, six double four six seven six. Uh, and you realise that uh, I think is it arenas on the keyboard keypad number pad. They both go across it. But oh, you that's don't, it. That's you right. You don't find the code until later. There's they press like a spinning yeah. circle of wheels that looks like a that's sort it. of a typewriter yes. thing that shows you what the code is. But there's multiple um, aspects to that as well because you've got to get the code, and the code unlocks the printer. And there's four different things that you can print. Yes, and you've got to get the right one of those, and then you've got to set the the little sound thing to the right frequency to mm. to make the the glass at the end shatter yeah so it's it's like the culmination of 
about four different things that you've got to do. Yeah, that's relatively involved, that one. That's only level mm. 11 out of uh, 18, I think. So. It's like they went to the science museum. That's basically it. it. Is yeah, exactly yeah. like they went to the science yeah. museum. Uh, one thing that I sort of, and here's a good example of uh, one's brain failing oneself, is my assumption when looking at the oscilloscope or whatever it is, was that, of course, you want to set it to the highest frequency to break the glass. But, of course, that's just me making an incorrect assumption. Actually, the, the animation tells you that it's the middle frequency or the second to top frequency that vibrates the glass that causes it to break. And then it's about, as with a few of these things, like completing the electric circuit with the, with the raindrop, it's actually about having the patience to just leave the memory sitting there while it plays out and does its thing. And I think maybe sometimes my impatience or uh, lack of observation caused me to fail puzzles the first time around at least until uh i think so at least at least one puzzle possibly the first electric gate puzzle uh completing the circuit i think i almost got it by accident as in just happened to leave it with the with the drop in the in the right place to to complete the circuit kind of thing um the one the one that sticks out for me the level that sticks out for me is the um mm. the dinosaur bones one and yeah. simply because when you look at it initially, so what it is is there's a level where there's a dinosaur set up in, the, you know, all the bones are put in the right place and it looks like all wrapped dinosaur. around yeah. the level. Yeah. All of a sudden, I explode and fall down, and initially it just looks like a bunch of bones going everywhere. But then, yeah. as you go through the level, you realise that they're all falling in a very specific way that yeah. leads to certain ramps and access to certain areas and. Um, yeah, it's that it was so well done. You know, it didn't I, look. I agree. Forced, it's one but, of the most well crafted yeah. ones, I think, out of all of them. Yeah, for I sure. I just love the fact that it was, towards the end, there's one that would just create a path. If you weren't careful, you'd miss it. Like, oh look, it's resting on that. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. There's some bits where you have to be very specific about where you leave the uh, leave the animation cycle mm. to yeah. to to it's, take. And it's what you mentioned earlier as well about if you get it right the game will then progress with that knowing that you've got it right. And it's happy to checkpoint you beyond that point. And I had a couple of points earlier today where I tried to rewind further back than I was actually supposed to, because I wasn't sure entirely where I'd completed the, the objective as it were, and it stops you. And you then know at that point, Oh, okay. So the dinosaur bones were supposed to be in that. Yeah. Specific position. Yeah, it's like so the game going, no, 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 go, but go back a bit. Yeah, you, no, you, yeah you did this. <laughs> yeah, you yeah got I, had this the, right. I had the same issue with the cans going over the water. Oh, God, yeah. Like, yeah. Was, yeah. Took, me a, took me a few minutes of thinking about that. And also, yeah, the game kind of, it sort of just pushes you, nudges the video in a little direction to make sure that you can't overly confuse yourself. But actually, there's that element of, like, why is it why is it putting me back to this point mm. and you realize that that's part of the solution to the puzzle but it also feels a little frustrating because that's a point where my my video game brain of decades and decades was going just give me direct control so i can yeah. jump over these cans <laughs> like, it'd be that's really the easy point where your your brain failed you not the game was failing yeah all right the game, the game <laughs> what it was doing at that point I, I, during during the interview that i had with with simon um, uh, and about, I asked him about this. I directly asked him how challenging did you find designing these levels? And yeah, of course. He said they threw out ninety percent of what they made, which I'm not surprised at. No, no. Uh, Usually and, the case, I think, for a yeah. 
but a uh, well-crafted game yeah yeah and also a lot of it was done by hand like analogs or like bits of paper and stuff they would use that mm. and they would craft these in front of them and try to figure no, out plasticine. Um, in plasticine and all sorts of stuff nice uh, but uh yeah so there was a point earlier when i got to the end of the game i was watching the credits and they've got a section on the credits for play testers and one of the play testers is mentioned as name uh colon a nine-year-old and i was like does this mean that everything that was involved in this was technically doable by said nine-year-old? Oh, mate, you don't even start so. with that stuff. No. Mate. Like, right, kids are insane at video games. Like, well, They've got a different level to us. They've got yeah. a different level to us. Yeah. Speaking of experience of sort of Sam's things, Dave, but right, okay. Well, I mean, you it's just Harry. look at, like, yeah, you, yeah. you look at Twitch shooters now and stuff, oh, yeah. and you're just like, what? <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's a little bit different from a, a um, uh, I suppose it's a little bit different for a puzzle game. But yeah, if you're playing an online shooter and you're mm. getting repeated over and uh, repeatedly killed over and over again, it's probably a nine-year-old. <laughs> like, right. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm. Or a cheat or a bot. I used to be good at Unreal Tournament, oh, but yeah. now it's <laughs> 20 years later yeah, and I'm not anymore. Yeah. Can't do, yeah, can't do Instajib anymore. Just can't do it. Daigo's still winning fighting tournaments in his late 30s. We're not. There's, yeah. yeah, but I'm. Well, I, well, oh no, I'm not passed by late 30s. You are, though, Leon. That's... <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we're still grand, Dave. Yeah, we're exactly. still young you compared could, you to the You turn around to him Yeah, go, thank you. Oh, nice fresh nice with the five. five yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. I, I do hit the big 5 0 this year. Thanks. Thanks. Yes. You and Jay both. <laughs> I'll send you a card, Chris. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, Angry Kurt from the forum, also a, uh, a fan of both of our shows, says, I heard about this game through TCGS after David was praising it. Good. I was looking forward uh, or looking for something short and quite chilled to play at the time, and I wasn't disappointed. Mm. I thought the rewind fast forward mechanic was unique in the genre. I can only think of Braid and racing games doing something similar. So it was good to see it applied in a different genre and done really well. I thought the difficulty curve was well judged. And I always managed to figure it out before searching for the solution online. Well done, Angry Kurt. I understand that the story resonated with some people, but I didn't really care much for it. It wasn't bad or anything. I just didn't really feel strongly either way about it. But maybe I'm an emotional husk. Which leads us to ask, yeah, who did feel affected and emotionally impacted by the conclusion, the discovery that even if you hadn't kind of twigged up to that point that... Uh, the friendship was at least, I mean, obviously these days maintaining friendships across distances is uh, rather easier than it used to be. Um, but I assume this was set like earlier than that, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't that, wasn't there Walkmans in some level and stuff like that? So, yeah, I did make me wonder. Maybe it is set in the past. Mm, yeah. 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 Um, yeah the time on it is weird, as we said, with like the PS1, but also the 70s looking TV. Mm. It, it definitely looks like it's kind of early mid-90s on yeah, it maybe so i, I mean i i wouldn't say that it was like um a massively impactful game in terms of i look back on it and oh this you know changed the way i view things or anything like that but yeah yeah in terms of an emotional impact yeah my god yeah yeah it nails that um it was just like yeah as i said at the start it's like a punch to the gut it's just like oh man that sucks that sucks <laughs> you know because it's not their decision um, and someone else is yeah. probably going to yeah. be using that treehouse now, and that's not going to be the mm. same relationship. And I really felt for these characters by the end of it, even though we didn't 
you know, know much about their characters. We still had a good sense of them from what we'd been looking at throughout the game. So yeah, no, I was I yeah. had an emotional reaction to the end of that game, a hundred percent. I wouldn't say playing through it initially. I did. Mm. Um, you know, you had a sense of character, but you weren't emotional. Um, and I think that was because I was always second guessing about what it was all about. And I thought as I was playing through it, as I said, it was either going to be really tragic. And I thought, oh, do I need that? Um, or it was going to hmm. leave it up to the gamer to decide what it was about. And I thought, I'm not up for that either, to be honest. I'd rather know. Um, and me. then when I saw yeah. that soul sign, I was like, that's not Aww. what I was expecting. That's really sad. <laughs> That has impacted me more than it would have been if it was at like a hospital mm. bed or whatever. I remember thinking this very strongly at the time after playing a couple of levels of, I don't know if it was specifically the games that I've been playing recently or whether it was a general trend in gaming, but my my mind went to like, oh God, please don't tell me this is like one of these kids is being abused by their parents or something in this oh, no. their weird way. It didn't even cross my mind. Like, now it has. Yeah. I was very, very pleased when I found out that it was much more innocent than than something like that. Ah, that's weird. That I, yeah, it never even crossed my mind that it would be something darker than it was. I don't know if maybe I'd picked up on the story because I I didn't really bother going into it with my history of the game, but I'd deliberately avoided watching. I'd watched a tiny bit of footage just to get a sense of the the the, the way the game ran, but I'd really avoided uh, too much about the story. But I just, yeah, I never had the sense that it was going to be something that dark or tragic. Uh, I think it really would have thrown me for a loop if it had been actually, because I was expecting what it was, which is the sad, but, you know, bittersweet, uh, real life and very uh, easy to relate to tale of, of losing a childhood friend. Chris, what about you? Did you shed a tear? I did get Quivinchin. Gotta say it, you know, quivering chin, yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. Because it did really resonate very strongly with me because I did kind of well temporarily lost lost contact with a friend of about when I was about eleven or twelve. Uh, he was a very good friend, very close friend, and uh, he moved away too. So I really could relate to this. And yeah, uh, yeah. when John was saying, you know, I was it's going to be tragic. Like, no, I could relate to what was going on because when. My friend, he, he moved away. We did similar thing, you know, remembered the things that we did together. And um, thankfully, what's quite interesting is that after I finished the game first time round, I did actually send that friend a Facebook message because we re- reconnected now thanks to the magic of the internet. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was really, it was really lovely. And That's the headline, isn't it? And, That's the headline. Yeah. Gardens Between <laughs> made me reconnect with an old friend. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah that's... <laughs> What, but games, no, what games uh, have done that ever? Like, I don't know. That's really cool. So, yeah, it did really hit me hard, I have to say, and I did, uh, it, I did have to put my controller down and uh, have a bit of a have a bit of a moment to myself because uh, very nice. It, it was. Uh, it didn't, like I said, mundane doesn't have to be uh, bad or tedious or boring. Gosh, no, absolutely, and it's not. And uh, no. I'm a little bit disheartened about a lot of the feedback. I'm sorry to everyone to sent wonderful uh, verbose and well-written feedback but a lot of a lot of, get the trend here saying it's dull or lacks substance and i couldn't disagree more yeah, well, that's 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 <laughs> it i'll tell you it? something though chris yeah. what i wouldn't give for things to just be mundane or disappointing <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right now true. yeah they, yeah they are emotions kind of, yeah. Every, drive to everything is on fire chris, think this is this is fine look at yeah. it this way right if a game um 
if a game was uh, appealing to everyone that was emailing into this show or any show, um, if a game had the same emotional reaction uh, for everyone that had played it and everything that was coming in was positive, then your emotional reaction wouldn't have felt so personal. True. It, it, that's yeah. not that's how it works. If everyone had yeah. the same feeling towards this, then you wouldn't have had that very personal experience with this game. So, yeah, um, yeah. you just got to look too at generic like and non-specific. Yep, could be. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Pecan Pie says, "My primary enjoyment of this game came from being able to play it with my wife. It ticked the boxes of being puzzle-based and having basic controls. We enjoyed the three nights it took us to complete the game. My wife would take the controls, and we would brainstorm the solutions together." Anytime we can complete a game together, it is a winner in my book. None of the puzzles were very challenging, but all were fun to complete, and the developers kept evolving the mechanic enough to stay fresh. Still, I would have liked a few more that challenged us. The story left me wanting a bit more. I kept waiting for some more development of turns, or turns, but it stayed safe and linear, exploring nostalgia and friendship. It all worked as a package, but it wasn't as elite as some other storylines in indie games. A relaxing experience that I enjoyed with my wife. Yes, uh, one other aspect that we haven't mentioned is the actual vignettes that are available on completing a level, which actually kind of, uh, well, after three stages, you complete a constellation. I assume the implication is that one of the things that the, the kids enjoyed doing together was uh, looking through a telescope at the stars. And... Uh, the little vignettes that kind of put the memory back together, each of those has uh, a little Easter egg within it as well. So you, uh, it's a shorter piece of video memory. But for instance, and most of them have a little, uh, if not all of them, have a little garden friend who you can get to pop out from somewhere in the scenery. Uh, and each of those is worth an achievement or a trophy, depending on which version. And there's also one for with the popcorn. If you have Arena hit Front in the head five times, you get an achievement for that as well. I need to ask a question of your listeners and everyone that's listening to this. Um, you can send me the answer at David Turner's on Twitter because I'm dying to know because I've never found out. Soon after the game came out, someone had tweeted the developers saying, I 100%ed the game one of my favourite unlockables or, you know, Easter eggs once you 100% a game ever. Huh. And they replied saying, not many people have found that yet. And that was it. And I have no idea what it is and I'm dying to know. So if you know, please get in touch at David Turner's on Twitter. I'm dying to know that. So little cheeky, you must have it then, uh, Leon. You must have yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe, does it, maybe there's, Maybe, maybe maybe there's something on the title screen that I haven't interacted yeah, with. Yeah, I'd love to know what it is. Um, oh. There's some stuff in the settings menu that I don't remember seeing before, but I saw it today. There's a big hair mode that you can turn on. Oh, maybe is, that's it. Maybe that is that's, it. <laughs> that's pretty horrific. I turned that on and played the first level. Big I'm hair not mode. aware of this, and I have to investigate. No. Mm. Well, there you go. See, I was going to have a little secrets and Easter eggs uh, section, but I didn't really know of anything. But now we do. Did, big hair did your old friend have big hair, though, Chris? Because that might be a little bit too much for you. No, mate. he didn't. Like her. No. <laughs> had no Sean hair. Bell from like 1998 <laughs> at university. I did do the big hair thing until about five years later. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's the only thing I noticed. There's there's also like a speed run mode, which I did wonder I think that. Just, that feels I think wrong. it just makes your characters move faster. Okay, it's definitely a a, a speed runnable game, but the problem yes. is it's one of those games where there's a very obvious and definitive speed at which you could complete it if you performed every interaction optimally and perfectly, and then there is no more improvement that you could do on that. Oh, because unless they find some weird bug, like you know. True, sequence skipping or something. Yeah, yeah. There is there is one little Easter egg in the game that actually gets you to kind of do a bit more than just solve the level. There's a there's a garden friend hidden behind a smoke wall that you have to kind oh, of yeah. go back and get, which revol- which involves making the puzzle a little bit more layered than it was otherwise. But I just did that one after I'd completed the game anyway. Yeah, that's right towards the end. Yeah. I also found a couple of things that i had to look up later on there's a disc very early on that's stamped with it it looks like a video game disc yeah and it's got rain conductor stamped yes what is that i think you see it later and i was like oh is that that's taking the mick out of their own train conductor series of games that they made yeah yeah and then much much later when you're in the sewer levels there's a helmet at the bottom of one of the levels that has some pictures on it yeah like stickers on it that i recognized as being um Frog Detective pictures. Oh, that was it. Thank you. Yeah, Frog yeah they're from nuts. this game called The Frog Detective. So I looked that up. I googled um, uh, what are the, uh, voxel agents yeah. and Grace Bruckner, who's the um, the creator of Frog Detective. Yeah. And I found a Facebook post that read, hidden in the gardens between are 11 Easter eggs featuring games from our friends. And it had a picture of this helmet with the pictures from The, the Frog Detective uh, on it. I see. So it implies that there are a whole load more because oh. um, Frog Detective and Grace Bruckner are also Australian-based yeah. video games. Yeah. And it, it made me start looking for more pictures. And the only thing that I could find was, I think, in the level after that, there's a thermos flask mm. that has what looks like a sticker of like a, a, a female head with like long um, sort of pigtails off either side of it. And I saw that, I thought, I bet that's one of the other Easter eggs, but I also don't recognise what it is. Oh, okay. So apparently there's 11 of these, but yeah, I found maybe two or three at the most. I had and no idea. And knew that they were these things. Yeah, that's cool. Well, maybe the maybe the flask is a reference to Alan Wake. I mean, oh, just God. a related note, I did like the achievements, by the way. I, did, mm. they, I mean, I'm not a big achievements nutball at all, no, no, but no. I just no. love the... Construct and it really did reinforce the feeling that yes, you are a genius. Well done. Yeah, and uh, big fat, big fat achievement points per achievement for those who oh, do yeah. care as well. Yeah, for whatever reason. Yep. <laughs> uh, we've also got some reviews of just three words from Twitter. Follow us at Kana Rince, starting with Chris. Uh, Alex seventy nine UK. Play Braid instead. I'll oh, leave off. Braid's excellent, but Alex, uh, come on. Listen to our Braid podcast, which also got a mention on... uh, on (laughs) Yeah, I heard you weren't too positive. Terrestrial Extra. Uh, Bit timey-wimey. Toonskatoon says, rewinds to reveal. Pecan Pie says, puzzling, nostalgic dream. Count Stex says, enchanting little adventures. Penguin Girl 74 says, time puzzle friends. Futile Exercise says, diorama story time. And Kurt Lewin finally says, be kind, rewind. Yeah, good. Good good one, that. Nice. There's also a really nice puzzle based around rewinding a VHS player and getting the tape to pop out. I like that one. 
So yeah, in summary then, the gardens between. Let's start with John. Why not? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a real sucker for anything that's uh, easy and short and has some really nice narrative hooks to it. So I really really enjoyed playing through this, especially for the second time, eighteen plus months later, where I'd forgotten about the majority of stuff, but I still had like some really strong memories in my head that that uh, really took me back to Christmas twenty eighteen. Um, I, I would happily recommend this to anybody, especially because the, the kind of the point to entry is really low on it. I mean, if you've got Xbox and you've got Game Pass, then it's just there. I don't think it's particularly expensive otherwise. And if it is, you know, not like cheap, cheap, if it's a, a reasonable price, I would still say go ahead and get this because you're giving money to people who I really hope are going to end up putting out more solid, solid stuff afterwards. And, it's it's like total um not nepotism but kind of pushing that way for me to just say give money to australian parochialism let's call it that i i've got a real soft spot for some of these indie games i've got a real soft spot for developers that are putting out things that feel very heartfelt to them and there's a there's a very low barrier to entry to this no matter what console you've got so i mean even if you've listened to this and it sounds like well we spoiled the storyline we spoiled a load of the puzzles you probably should play it anyway. Mm. I think it's worthwhile to experience it, no matter no matter what you've heard listening to this for the last couple of hours. So, yeah, just do yourself a favour, and it's a good one to pick up. Thanks, John. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit too. It's not a game that has uh, blown me away and changed my life. It's not one that I feel that I need to go around and evangelise to all my friends, even the ones who don't regularly play games. Although it would, in some ways, make a good pick for doing that because of the the sort of the non-demanding interface of it and the fact that it has those themes and, and concepts which are quite universal and I think most people will find at least somewhat touching uh, with the the tale of uh, lost childhood friendship and just lost childhood uh, in general is uh, is always, it always hurts no matter how old you get, the the fact that you think back to what it was like to be a kid sometimes and there were some quite sucky parts about it but also some absolute magic that you can never get back um so for a game that uh evokes some of those feelings while also making you feel at times like a smart grown-up person with some interesting puzzle design and uh yeah i think dave's right i think it does kind of uh it's a little loose with its own rule set at times it's sort of i think with a view to adding puzzle variety they sort of by by later in the game they're they're taking a few more liberties with the original concepts but that's okay uh everyone here apart from me managed to complete the game without looking anything up and i only had to look one up um so it is yeah i think i think it's well judged in that respect as a game that will give you some some moments of frustration followed by eureka moments it also has that really nice smooth slick unity engine look and there's some talented artists and musicians and and sound designers working on it as well so yeah as john says it's available on game pass if you have that you can just go and install it and play it right now otherwise you can probably pick it up in a steam or eShop sale or psn or whatever else and uh i doubt too many people would go along with our few correspondents who have regretted playing it um i think for the most part the the response is positive so certainly worth checking out and not a massive uh, investment time or money wise chris 
for me, The Gardens Between is a game that is extremely honest and is also very, very inventive and doesn't um, lean away from those two aspects in any part of its creation or your experience through it. This is this is what I got from my time, The Gardens Between. It, it, it's definitely something that I will I do cherish and I, I still enjoy. Do I come back to it regularly? Not as much as I'd like to, but it's uh I think it's that's for me the two words. It's honesty and inventiveness. Um that that strikes me as that's what this game is about and that's why I like it so very much. Oh, very concise. Mm. Appreciate it. Nice. Let's conclude with our guest, David. I echo all your thoughts, but for for me I just really appreciate that it's a game that tries something different but mm. also tries to well absolutely nails the positive sides of the things that they're trying you know they they don't they don't do something different to other games just for the sake of being different they do it for a reason and it presents that perfectly as i say the animation uh the puzzle solving um just the visual spectacle um i i i think everything it tries uh, to do it doesn't over egg it it just keeps it simple and it presents the advantages of the different things that it's doing in a in a really neat way and you know there will be people that play this and 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 don't like it anywhere near as much as we we have um and that it, to some extent is fully un, uh, fully understandable but for me i just uh i it was a very sweet two and a half to three hour experience that i i uh enjoyed from start to finish and how many games can you say that about uh, not many in my book so yeah i'm i'm glad uh it it came out and i'm glad i played it sweet and i wouldn't normally do this but this arrived literally in the last few minutes as we were recording one last three word review came in from andrew elmore who says brought me joy ah oh, that's so, good that's yay. a good one i like that yeah, I like that one too. Yeah, I mean, I what what, well. uh, what was joyful about a uh, beautiful relationship being split up? Um, I don't know, but we we won't go well, to it. We'll just leave uh, it for you. We'll be joy. We'll be joy. That's fine. That is fine. That one. <laughs> so it remains for me, Leon, to thank Chris, John, and David. David, uh, we've probably got one or two listeners who aren't aware of uh, your shizzle. So um, plug it. Yeah, um, if you go to tcgs.co. Um, that'll take you to our website. Our uh, our podcast is called the Computer Game Show, um, and we have a Twitch uh, channel called uh, twitch.tv forward slash tcgsco. Um, and you can go and check out our stuff there. You can follow me on Twitter at David Turners. Uh, you can follow our podcast on Twitter uh, at tcgsco. Um, and uh, yeah, listen to our show. It's a weekly video game show that goes on for far too long, and involves <laughs> a lot of arguments between friends. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be up your street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's more uh, for those who haven't heard it. It's just it's more contemporaneous than what we do. It's uh, you know uh, one of those shows. I assume that that's about an actually insult. what's going on. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> no, it's, it's, is that a fancy insult? <laughs> no. you mean they talk about games that are less than a year old yeah mental uh it's more up to date is what i'm well, trying to say okay yeah that's that is yeah, fine yeah, yeah. uh yeah no we yeah. Talk about and, that and more cockney than we are yeah and w- when you listen to it and say mm. oh it's one of those podcasts where they just talk about news and what they've been playing it's that tired mm. old format and another one of those <laughs> we invented it 
So, you know. <laughs> uh, Nobody makes as many Ricky Gervais references as that's you guys. True. Mm. That's true. Mm. If you like The Office, it's worth a listen. If you don't like The Office, you won't understand half the podcast. <laughs> if you liked The Office 20 years ago and are now fed up with Ricky Gervais. All right. Where's book. this come from? Who's this guy? <laughs> Where are you getting from, Leon? Is he one of the new guys, is he? Get rid of him. <laughs> fairly Get new, rid yeah. of him. My thanks also to Editor Jay, <laughs> all of our correspondents, and, of course, to you for listening. Next time, in issue 433, we're going to talk about the original Rayman. There are colours in the sky And the ground is turning Where you and I used to play in the garden, and you're carried off downstream. But I know you'll think of me and all the things we used to be in our minds in the eyes. Forget about me, I won't Forget about you And when you need me we can go To places only we Places on